Welcome to Pod Space Nine, the last stop for trash in the Alpha Quadrant. This is a rewatch podcast for Star Trek Deep Space Nine, featuring two veteran viewers and one newbie. My name is Justin, and I'll be your way team commander. Joining me is my science officer, Anna, with our acting ends in Jude. Jude, Anna, how you doing? Well, I did not have to go to jury duty today. Um, all cases for today were uh, settled or postponed, so that's that's nice. On the other hand, I was maybe just a smidge looking forward to being that asshole who's just like, but but I would just like to have more information about the reliability and, and validation of these forensic measures. <laughs> oh, see, the one time I got called into jury duty, it was one of the worst, exp- it was like one of the biggest wastes of time ever because they like, <laughs> they, they had us do a questionnaire, sent us home, called us back the next week, had us sit through a selection process, asked us to come back the next day, by the t- and it just took forever. So that That's at the nuts. end of day two, or at the end of day three, so this was the second day of, like the second week I'd been called in. Um, they finally got to me. the the One of the lawyers took took a look at the fact that I had done I had taken one forensic science class <laughs> in college and immediately dismissed me. i'm sure i have told this story before but on the off chance i have not have i ever told you how my dad avoids jury duty i don't think you have but but based off of every story that you've given about your dad this is going to be a fucking whopper i i just imagine that he like that he just goes into like anarchist or like full-on like free like sovereign citizen crap when asked where he went to school because that is part of the process. You know, they ask you your background. He replies that he studied the war of Northern aggression at the university of Southern Carolina. Oh God. That, oh, yeah. God. Because he did in fact study U S history with an emphasis on the civil war from the university of Southern Carolina, where his aunt lived. <sighs> but when you put it like that, I mean, when you call fair. it the war of Northern aggression, <sighs> That is a one-way ticket off a jury, no matter yeah. what the subject yeah. is, yeah. no matter what the yeah. jury is yeah. about. That is a one-way ticket off the jury. And it's I mean, not even lying, really, but wow. No, it's just soup's racist. Yeah. yeah. It is exactly my dad in a nutshell. It's clever, a little bit. It relies on just a smidge of charisma, and it's a little bit racist. <laughs> so there you have it. You learned I, I something was, about my dad today. I was I was honestly curious to see whether like they would just you know look at my occupation as statistician and just be like get the fuck out. Oh, I'm sure. Oh. There's no way you're gonna ever make it onto a jury. Are you kidding? You work. <laughs> well, you, you you're a statistician. You're highly educated. There's no way. You you never I'm surprised know, they didn't dismiss you. One of my one of my coworkers ended up on a grand jury for like. Like four months or something. Grand juries are grand different. juries are different. Okay. A grand jury, they want your brain. Okay. A civil okay. jury, they want a a meat sack <laughs> to sit there and like be impressionable. You're not. Yeah. You're you're there as an emotional, basically an emotional battery in a, in a regular jury. Uh. Anyway. Uh. I in answer to your question, Justin. Uh. I am good, albeit nervous i go to oxford on monday and i'm unprepared 
to uh, live up to my billing as a, quote, Tolkien scholar of any stripe on uh, the I am supposed to appear on a panel and talk about Tolkien things next to people who are actual Tolkien scholars. And I get to sit in a bunch of, of other people's panels and listen to them talk. And I'm going to feel for two days before my own. And I'm going to feel like the biggest goddamn fraud of all time by the time I have to do my own. Welcome. Welcome to every time I go to a conference, Jude. If you want, if you want pep talks, I'm, I'm your gal. I, I will absolutely probably be hitting you up for that because I am already mostly, breathing into my Athrobeth custom paper bag. Mostly, mostly my tip is like, so don't, don't imagine everybody in their underpants or anything like stupid like that. Um, but just realize that everybody else there with the exception of like the 5% who are like egotistic assholes is exactly where you are. This is universal. Yeah. Okay. Everybody, everybody is like, everybody is there with the imposter syndrome being like, I don't belong here. Like, you know, a solid 90% of the like presenters are like, oh God, I have to do this. I'm not prepared. Who am I? I feel so weird because it's like uh, between, between being like, I'm not like a, I wasn't a full on one, but like for, for being like a part-time theater kid, and being the son of a public speaker, it was the one it's the one thing that I like should rightfully have imposter syndrome over, but I just <laughs> never do. It's like I yeah. can, I like I, I'm like I would get nervous, but I feel like I could sit I could talk in front of a thousand people for ten minutes about any uh, like if you gave me a subject, I could bullshit for ten minutes about pretty much anything. Oh, I could bullshit yeah. about anything, but I mean if you put me up in front of a bunch of Tolkien people. Yeah, you, you whose respect I want and crave because I would I forgot, like. To I forgot respected. about wanting actual respect and like wanting to look good. That that's the problem. Yeah, yeah, got, that's the problem. Yeah, that's the problem. These are people whose respect I would like. I would like when we're done. Um, I don't care if people what people think of me when I talk about you know wanting uh, wanting Garrick's uh, not. Hmm, there's a Freudian <laughs> slip. Um, wanting Jakar's. Uh, lizardy chess piece. Like, I don't care what people think of me after that, but I do care uh, about, you know, the respect of our, of my fellow Tolkien scholars at this conference. So yeah, we'll okay. see. Anyway, speaking of Garrick, let's talk about some DS nine before I put my foot any further in my mouth. Yeah. Uh, tonight also, we- we'll have to come back to this, that, that slip of the tongue there. Yeah. yeah at some point in the future. <laughs> no, we can move on. It's fine. <laughs> so tonight we are covering episodes four and five of season two, Invasive Procedures and Cardassians. Uh, Anna, I believe you have Invasive Procedures. Take us away. All right. So for this one, the story is by John Welpley, teleplay by John Welpley and Robert Hewitt Wolf, and directed by Les Landau. Our episode starts as the station prepares for an impending plasma storm. It's certainly built, but Cisco doesn't want to take chances with the civilian population. So the station has been evacuated and only the senior staff and also Quark are on the station. They aren't alone for long, though. The station receives a hail from a cargo ship needing shelter from the storm. When Odo and O'Brien head to the airlock, they discover that the crew is hostile. Two Klingon mercenaries plus a trill named Varad and his partner Muriel. 
With with help from Quark, they've circumvented station security and managed to take Odo captive in a box, which is immediately taken to a stasis chamber in the infirmary. Once the intruders get to Ops, we find out why they boarded the station. Barad wanted to become joined, but was rejected by the Symbiosis Evaluation Board. So, um, in you know a perfectly rational decision, he's here to steal Dax and then yeet himself through the wormhole uh, to freedom. And he does not care at all that this will kill Jadzia in the process. Um, because Jadzia is part of Dax, so like it's totally fine, right? He has constructed the most horseshit justification for this murder I have ever seen. And I am going to have some thoughts right. about it. Right. Yeah. Um, so to, to prove that he's serious, he wounds O'Brien. And Jedzia and Julian both agree to the procedure um, in order to prevent more casualties. In the infirmary, Bashir performs the su- surgery. And Vrad insists on staying awake to monitor the procedure, which ends up being a Complete success, however you want to define these things. Vrad Dax awakes, calm and confident, and heads back to Ops. Bashir also stabilizes Jedzia, who wakes up feeling empty and alone without Dax. Meanwhile, in Ops, Kira and Sisko speak to Muriel and learn of the pair's backstory. Muriel doesn't believe Sisko when she believes that Vrad Dax will be an entirely different person than unjoined Vrad, uh, not the man that Muriel loves anymore. Sisko keeps picking at this point. Uh, and when Vrad Dax gets to Ops, the two reminisce about good times between Sisko and Curzon, and then Sisko and Jadzia. Muriel interrupts, and Vrad snaps at her to shut up because he's talking to Sisko. After more probing sh- from Sisko, Vrad claims that Dax is too weak to be returned to Jadzia, and that uh, she and and that he still intends to let her die. Uh, Sisko then promptly unfriends him, which distresses Vrad. The intruders still need to wait for the storm to pass in order to flee through the wormhole, um, buying the crew some time to fix this whole situation. While Varad sulks in Sisko's office, Sisko speaks to Muriel again, and but she's still unwilling to b- betray Varad. Quark, meanwhile, attacks one of the Klingons and is taken to the infirmary, giving Bashir the opportunity to incapacitate his Klingon guard and free Odo. In a scene that is absolutely amazing, and we will absolutely yeah. talk oh about it. Oh my god. Back at Ops, um, Varad realizes that Odo is free and tells Muriel that he's changing their plan. Uh, he's gonna, he thinks that they should split up for now and rendezvous once they're both in the Gamma Quadrant. Varad heads for his ship. And Sisko speaks to Maria once more. She finally accepts that she does not love this Varad, and he no longer loves her, and that the rendezvous, the rendezvous plan is definitely just a ploy to ditch her. She agrees to help Sisko, who promises to save both Jedzia and Varad. All does not go according to Varad's plan, however, since Odo uh, has uh, unlocked the docking clamps and set Varad's ship adrift, and he's now trapped on the station. Um, he heads to the closest roundabout where Sisko intercepts him, stuns him, and drags him back to the infirmary. And back in the infirmary, Julian is not Starfleet Medical Academy salutorian for nothing. Uh, despite the phaser hit and the recent transfer, he manages to successfully transfer the symbiont back to Jadzia and save all three lives. Vrad is shaken up as he feels the lingering traces of Dax slip away, but Muriel promises him her undi- undying devotion. Jadzia awakes with Varad's memories added to Dax's mix and a summary of the situation. It's all so sad. Uh, excuse me, Dax, uh, Jadzia. I'd like to modify that statement. <laughs> it's also horseshit is what it is. This is a great episode. I just hate Varad so much. Bless that actor. Absolutely fucking crushes this role. He goes from like 
cringing, douchey white guy to like confident and so yeah. smoothly. It's really impressive. Uh, but man, man, do I hate Varad. I have never so immediately reviled a character where, as I did this one when he starts sort of like snivelingly explaining how he deserved to be joined. And it's yeah, his right he, to take Dax. Good Christ. He's he's such an entitled piece of shit. And like, and also I kind of love it because it like feels more realistic every time I watch this episode. Yeah. Oh yeah. I think I think that's something that is like pain more like incredibly painfully aware of me. So I I recently read a read a book about uh the Taiping Rebellion which is uh, a massive civil war in China that caused tens of millions of death. It is the, the deadliest civil war in history. And the, 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 the inciting point for it was in, in, old Imper- in, in Imperial China of yore, there was a civil service exam that people would spend their entire life studying for. Um, and it was very expensive and had a 1% pass rate. And a guy took it like, three times failed each time went into a psychotic break and declared himself the the son of God. I can just imagine what like trill washouts have They're They're like, I think that they're like, especially in, I've talked about this book before Revenant by Alex white explains how like there are like, it's not exactly a Canon book, but it like, it develops the idea that like the trill symbiosis commission has like, has like an entire an entire like wing of their group that is dedicated to helping washouts like recover and go back into society (laughs) like it's a one in ten thousand thing yeah which is like so in it's unbelievably i mean it's like applying for college admissions now but there's only one college (laughs) Yeah. yeah, yeah. I I freaking love the trill as a species for so many reasons, and like this is only really our second like trill episode of mm-hmm. the show. Um, so I I I think we'll want to like revisit a bunch of this stuff in the future as after Jude has like seen more trill shit. Um, because you know I I know that you know the episodes that I'm thinking of in terms of like developing the trill lore. Um, yeah, but they're they're it's they're such a fascinating species, and they have so much world building potential that does get dipped into like sporadically in canon. I was going to ask how much world building we get because this raises a this episode raised a bunch of questions for me about Trill. There there end up still being a lot of open questions, so there will be a lot of questions that'll be answered throughout the course of the show, and I'm not going to like mm-hmm. touch on those now. Um, so like, keep your eyes open as we keep watching. I have a couple of questions I Um, I do want to ask, but go on. Yeah. Well, so the first one I had was how much is the, is the, like, does the symbiote have a personality or is it more a repository of, of personality and information? Does it have its own independent, like self? Because why didn't, why was Dax not able to say to Virad, get fucked you just killed my last host and refuse to to bond or take over his mind and eat his brain or do any like 
or simply to, to make Varad's like to do anything about the situation, to make Varad feel self-loathing about it. Like why did Dax seemingly just be along for the ride? This is something that is, I would say incons somewhat inconsistent. Um, and I think part of it could be, I'm trying, I'm trying to come up with how to, what to say that doesn't have too many spoilers. Um, I mean, one, one, one explanation you could have is that the symbiote Dax is heavily drugged in this episode. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but my, my personal take on it has been that the sapient, like that the, the symbionts are not entirely sapient. Or at least their sapience is, is dependent or, or sort of contingent on their hosts. Yeah. Like they, 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 I like, it's basically one of those things of like, they do have a personality like otherwise, like what first time first time hosts would be having a little bit of a bummer there. Yeah. Um, although although first time hosts, I I think this is memory beta canon rather than memory alpha canon. I know it's certainly not memory alpha canon, but the the first time hosts that is supposed to be incredibly weird because the what the symbiont brings to the mix is memories of being a worm in a pond. I'm yeah. a worm in a pond. <laughs> My read on it is that. Not necessarily that the symbionts are not sapient, or maybe that they have, like, maybe that their sapience is different, or like, you know, that they experience things differently, but certainly their motivations may not match the motivations of the host. And in particular, like, Trill Society is kind of odd in that the symbiont is way more precious than the host. Yeah. I was going to say, I would imagine that the Trill is not precious about its host the way maybe we would think they 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 should be right that like ultimately ultimately what matters is not is that like hosts are you don't want to dispose of like you don't want to treat the host as disposable because that will obviously cause trauma to the symbiont yeah but like the hosts are kind of disposable like that they are there in part to like further the knowledge and experiences of the symbiont. So like from Dax's point of view, I, I agree with Justin that Dax is probably heavily drugged here, but from Dax's point of view, like Dax maybe has in fact run some of the calculations and is like, no, putting me back into Jedzia is risky as hell. Like I stand a better chance of survival if I stay here and yeet myself off to the gamma quadrant and go like do fun stuff there. Yeah. And yeah. I would imagine that in in a sense, Varad is correct in that that so th his whole thing uh, where his he's justifying this bullshit plan with well Jadzia will live in me so it's fine that I kill her. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. My first reaction to this was I will fucking choke you. Uh, <laughs> but he doesn't deliver this in like a sniveling way. He delivers this in a matter yeah. of fact way that makes me suspect. That this is a a trill, yeah, point of view, and not a justification for murder by a shitty person point of view, or at least yeah, not yeah. exclusively a justification. Yeah, it's not for exclusively. Yeah. I think this is like you know there are like those asshole utilitarians. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's I think like I I think we will see that like most trill. trill most trill are not this fucked up. 
um, there are some trill who are. And I think that they, like there is a philosophy of, well, obviously the memories will live on to me, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. 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 And the, we'll learn a whole bunch more about trill society, and it is pretty weird and fucked up. Yeah. Um, also, I would like to note something important about the trill. They're not a federation species. That's interesting. I didn't know that. They are allied. The trill, the trill, uh, this is established in disco. The trill never joined the Federation. They keep themselves set apart. Interesting. So Jadzia joins the Federation. Yeah, they're, they're close. They're closely allied. So like, yeah, it's like how we see Bajorans and Starfleet and stuff like Mm. that. Like the, the Bajoran members of Starfleet are Federation citizens because they are Starfleet officers. And we see, you know, fair number of trill as well, you know, over across, you know, various series, et cetera. But, um, but they're not a Federation species. And there are potentially reasons for that, um, that their, their values may not align with the Federation yeah. entirely. There's a, a degree to which they do not want the oversight of the Federation within their society. Yeah. Fascinating. There's also a thing that we have to remember with the Trill is that they functionally have like an insanely long generation time because the the hosts, I think, tend to live into their like 110s or so. But the symbionts, Dax was born in 2018. <laughs> um, granted, was not joined with anybody until 2168 which is two but that is 200 years before the events of invasive procedures dax has been joined to other trill for 200 years but has been but spent how long as a work like 150 or so is that normal for the for the trill to like hang out in ponds for a a hundred years or something before they're mature enough to join yeah yeah, I don't think so we ever questions. see like I don't think we ever see like a huge gap. I, like, there's never any like huge gaps like that that are like specifically mentioned. But I have so many like it, it's it's implied that it's like sometimes it's just like oh hey one pops up in this little pool and it's like oh hey this is a mature trill that wants to be joined. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and they they, they kind of like have their own little world there in their you know like symbiont pools too. But yeah, like. The the whole thing is like so fascinating, and even Jedzia Jedzia has the line when talking when like trying to talk down Varad at the start, where she's like, "My parents and sister are are unjoined, and they live happy, fulfilling lives." And I'm like, "Oh God, Jedzia, that's not a good line. Don't say it like that. <laughs> yeah, don't say it yeah. like that." There's a, there is a a ring to that particular those that line that that definitely reads like a. A bit of propaganda or something like that. Yeah. Or like it rings to me like the way that some people talk about like disabled people of like, oh, well, they're disabled, but like they can they can live like happy, fulfilling. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's exactly what I was talking about. Like, yeah. (laughs) One thing I, I, I do find funny is like, imagine imagine you are like you're friends with a trill who gets joined and that trill just your friend immediately comes just the biggest asshole on the face of the planet, right? Yeah, yeah. the personality change is, it- is really significant. Yeah, although although Varad had the asshole already, the, yeah, the asshole just- is coming from Varad. It's just the the 
it like Dax gives him the confidence to be like to reach his like assholeish peaks. Yeah, mm-hmm. I thought it was. I thought it was very interesting wondering about that. Like, is he? Is that changed because he shouldn't have been joined to Dax? Like, would a better would would if he had been selected for Dax? Would they have matched more? Would it would a trill he had been selected for matched his original personality closer, or is that I cannot ask I cannot answer these questions. I'm sorry. Yeah. All right. We'll have we'll to move on. I think, I think it is. I think it is a great question of like well, these are fantastic the questions. Great things to think about. Yeah. All right. We'll like, move on from trill um, lore then. We will. We will see at some point what happens when an unsuitable person is joined. Okay. It's not. It's not exactly tidy. I um, want to. I want to talk about uh, Quark in this episode. <laughs> Quark's like, oh my god, weird, gross little moaning. It's so good. <sighs> is- uh, also, Jude, this is not. This is far from the last time that Armin Jimmerman makes that noise. I am not at it's all surprised, so but it's funny. so good. I love that he is basically pretending he's been he's been kicked in the balls. Yeah. And he is like just flailing around dramatically. And Bashir is like. And Bashir starts out with like, what the fuck? You're fine. And then is like, oh, 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 that's what we're doing. I can't wait to see if he is quicker on the pickup next time. Or if like he always (laughs) remains a little bit dense with this ploy. But I have to imagine (laughs) that like he will get like the next time he will be like, got it on the train. and we get we get more of like smooth operator Bashir, yeah. with the yeah. way he like trikes a Klingon. Yeah, these two, yeah. both of these two episodes are good for like Bashir is good for more than uh, nice guy in Jadzia. As yeah. it turns out, Bashir is sort of kind of into this like subterfuge stuff. Yeah, he's good at it. Um, <laughs> the the eyebrow wiggle I just did. <laughs> also, I love the weird little like revanchist Klingons. Right, they're so like weird. here in this episode. I like I love the fact that there's just like the. I mean, they're basically like MAGA Klingons. Um, <laughs> That's true. Where it's like where where it's like I can't even call them revanchist because they're like. The Klingons didn't actually lose the Federation Klingon Cold War. It was just, no, you guys had your Chernobyl happen and the Federation bailed you out. And now you are like, you're just not at war with everyone. That's it. Yeah. You're just not actively at war with everyone. You're still the Klingons. You're still buttholes to everyone. You're just not actively dying on multiple war fronts. Oh, and we should we should absolutely like revisit this once we get into more of the like Klingon lore of the show oh, yeah. because there's so much the the show like there are problems TM with the Klingons as Justin has alluded to, but this the show also engages with the Klingons in fascinating ways. Um, like also sticking on the boarding, uh, uh, like the the opening scene, Quark has now been left in in the space of three episodes has been left from a station evacuation twice. Although it's time, I think unlo- it seems unwilling to- more intentional. This well, one yeah, feels like this time yes. it's intentional, but I just find it very funny. Yeah, I do yeah, find it funny yeah. that yeah, I'm sure I'm sure the uh, that Rom has not failed to give it some thought. Um, 
Fun fact about this episode I learned while reading up on it. Um, Nana Visitor's stunt double, uh, and I don't know if it's just this episode or this season, but for this episode, was uh, your friend and mine, Patricia Tallman, a.k.a. Lita from Babylon 5, uh, who apparently Amazing. got sucked clean in the face in this episode. And when the person who, like cold cocker was like oh i'm so sorry she's like no that was a good take let's use it because she's apparently <laughs> like an absolute actors are sickos uh, apparently yeah. a, an absolute stone cold badass stunt stunt woman uh is what i learned upon a brief google about her stunt career she has a reputation for being just an absolute awesome stunt performer that's awesome yeah now i'm curious if she how how, how much she did uh, how much stunt work she did for uh, DS9? There's there's another there's another fun uh, know that face, which Ooh. is slightly more know that voice in this one. Okay. Yeah, if you hadn't pointed out in chat, I wouldn't I wouldn't have picked it up. Yeah, it was the voice that got me the the Klingon the Klingon who has that like you know who goes on the like MAGA rant. Yeah, um, is played by none other but Tim Russ. Yeah, huh. Tuvok he, himself, which will not be his only DS9 appearance. Yeah, he's played a bunch of one-off Trek characters. Yeah, which I, I, he's like the only like series. He's like the only series regular I can think of that just goes off and plays like one-off characters in other series. Which yeah. honestly, cool for Tim Russ. He he seems like he seem he seems like a a, a pretty swell dude. Um, Okay, sorry. No, there is one other person who does, uh, like, it's both Voyager people, but Robert Picardo also. Yeah. Randomly just appears in other series. But he he actually is, like, kind of Jeffrey Combs-ish in the number of characters he plays. Oh, yeah. Like, not quite to that, like, level, but but he plays a lot of, he he's on a lot of Trek. When are we going to see our first Jeffrey Combs? I'm, like, I'm, I'm, I'm taking Soon. a look at Soon-ish. Next season, I think. When It was when, Tim Russ when, that, that clocked her, by the way. Oh, that's <laughs> delightful. Uh, the quote is, when the camera was on uh, Nana's back and Tim's face, I stepped in and Nana took a cigarette break. Tim was supposed to throw a punch to my face in the fight. We had worked out the distance between us so he could safely swing a ferocious punch at my face, and I would react as if it connected. He did this beautifully in rehearsal. When the director called action... Tim took a step into the space between us and punched me full on in the face. Everyone gasped because you could hear it as clear as a bell. Tim was horrified and the director yelled, cut. I yelled, don't cut, keep going. And we did. I didn't want to waste the take. I'd rather finish the fight than, than go put ice on my face, than stop and have to do it again. <laughs> I just looked it up. We've, got, we've actually got more than a season before we get Jeffrey Combs. Oh, sad face. And it's not even one of his regular roles. Uh, he plays a different alien. Uh, oh, well. It's going to be like the end of season three before we see one of the two, um, which I'm just like, oh, that's, uh, yeah, no, stunt, stunt work sucks. <laughs> it sucks and is very cool at the same time. Yeah. One thing that I absolutely love I, I like in, in this episode is Avery Brooks, who yes. not being able to physically do anything for this episode is just playing Cisco as like master manipulator. Yeah. Yeah. And um like there there's the scene where 
Varad Dax is like, hey, Benjamin. And first of all, the way that that, that Varad's actor delivers, the, like the way he says Benjamin, just makes me feel so gross. Yeah. Right. It's, and and Cisco's like, hey, do you remember, like, you know, when we first met? Do you remember my wedding? Do you remember, you know, like, you know, you know when I when I introduced you to Jennifer? Do you remember when we found the wormhole, you fucker? <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a very good. He does a really great job in showing Muriel that this is not mm-hmm. the person she met. Also, am I wrong or did did I get their backstory right that basically Muriel was a was a prostitute? That oh yeah, Varad saved I, saved from. There, that, I, I just glossed over that. Yeah, because he she was from she because she worked in a gross. pleasure house is is how they put it yeah. in the episode. But basically, yeah. she was a prostitute that he. It's not clear if he like <gasps> how that worked out. They kind of gloss over that, but it definitely seems like there's that's a very unhealthy dynamic there. Yeah. Yeah. And and I would like to clarify here that I gloss over that me saying that I gloss over it because it's gross is not because sex work is gross. I'm I gloss over it because Varad saving her from sex work is gross. Yeah, the whole yeah. thing is no matter how you parse it, there's some unhealthy gross stuff going on there. I do really appreciate like I feel like Avery Brooks was great as Cisco in season one, but at this point, he's like really come into his own in it. Yeah, I, I it's we're, this is like the first episode that we see like Cisco really. I mean, he did it some with God. What's his name? Uh, the our, our big guest star in the first three first three episodes. Yeah, I know who you're talking um, about. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. God, uh, whose name I can't remember for some reason. Uh, Watana, Watana. Yeah, yeah. He, like he gets up in his face and like. And that's more, okay, there's that's like, more Cisco is like, that's more, that's more like Commander Cisco. Right, right. But this is like Benjamin. And next episode, we get sassy Cisco. And yeah, it's like, but it's, it's all these ways that like he gets, he's much more in the season. He's less reserved. I, I mm-hmm. one of the things that I think is very cool about Cisco and like makes me enjoy him as a character is he's, is he is the, he is one of the most emotionally verbose captains. Yeah, for um, sure. And like he he's not it's there's very it's not like he's ever like running wild or something, but he doesn't have he doesn't have the Picard stoicism. Yeah. yeah. Um and he's willing to let like passion into his voice, which like and we see it like we see it in the cir- the, the circle trilogy, we see it here, we'll see it on the next episode where I feel like they were just playing it a little bit safe with his characterization here, and they're mm-hmm. letting him, they're lettering, letting Avery Brooks stretch, and Avery Brooks is a fantastic actor. Yeah, yeah the the way that the way that like he plays Cisco, just like playing both Mariel and Varad, like like mm-hmm. a fucking fiddle, both of them. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, I I really love Avery Brooks as Cisco. Um, it's interesting. Last night, actually, or the other night, at least, Michael and I were talking about, like, similarities, you know, compare and contrast the various captains. And we were thinking about, you know, who is Pike most similar to? And we both came up with Cisco. I, I was in that, just going to say yeah. that the thing I am finding myself really loving Cisco, and I think it's give, 
listening to you talk about his emotional, his emotiveness, it makes sense to me that I like him, given how much I love Pike, that makes a certain kind of sense. Because one of the things I like about Pike is that he's, he enjoys his job, that he, yeah. he's, you know, he engages with his crew and he's, he's daddy. Um, <laughs> but also, uh, he's, the, you know, he has fun. And I like that. Yeah. I, I like sassy Cisco. Um, he has a great line in the next episode. Like, I like when he's enjo- when he's like enjoying his crew <laughs> and his and being being in charge a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And but he's also not afraid of making an emotional connection with his crew. Mm-hmm. Um, the way that like Picard certainly Janeway sporadically maintain a lot of distance between themselves and the crew and cisco cisco isn't afraid to like actually get to know them and like but then you know but is still comfortable being the boss at the end of the day yeah and i think one of the things that's really interesting is he's very comfortable with that line i think a lot of people are like uncomfortable with that line in the sense of like oh i want to be their friend but i can't also their boss and cisco's just like i live in that line i that is my yeah. zone i'm your buddy but i'll also fucking like put you in your place and that's that's where i live yeah yeah i think part of it is like ds9 is so different and so it's like it's like cisco is a mayor more than he is like a military commander mm-hmm. like yeah. throughout a lot of this show um, yeah, it'll it'll like that'll end up being not changed. not unlike in B5 where Commander Sinclair and then and then Captain Sheridan talk about the fact that they have to be a a governor of this station mm-hmm. and this civilian population as much as they are a military commander. That is a thing that yeah. has to be reckoned with. I have I have some production notes if uh, if. This, oh, anybody, please. It, that is an awful on. note, that first one. I hate that. <laughs> okay, so my my first uh, my first production note. So apparently the symbiont prop, um, in order to make it more realistic, because you remember this is a practical effect on a budget, um, they included a vibrating pen from Toys R Us. I'm not convinced that's that. actually what's in there, but I, I'm fine with them saying <laughs> that that's what it was. I mean, that'd be a lot cheaper than the alternatives. Whatever. Yeah. At that, you know, you know, especially in that era. Also, apparently, Shimmerman disliked the episode because because Quark didn't get any consequences for letting everybody onto the station. Yeah. And he liked yeah. it better when Quark has consequences, and especially that he he liked the dynamic with Odo better when Odo is actually able to punish Quark. <laughs> which you know well, yeah because wow. because quark is a bottom yeah we've established that yeah quark just wants people to step quark just wants people in general and odo in specific to step on him yes but like you know from from a narrative point of view shimmerman always preferred for quark, quark to have consequences when he was a piece of shit yeah and i totally i, um, I actually don't disagree with that I, that was one as- yeah. aspect of this episode that i did find kind of horseshit is that Quark is the reason this happens. And at the end, he's just like, dun, 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 dun. like, yeah, like he, he, there's like, he kind of redeems himself by like going like, ah, yeah, and squalling like, like a weird Ferengi baby. 
Yeah. Uh, and, you know, that was useful, but like mm-hmm. playing, playing wounded in order to distract the Klingon versus letting people onto the station so that they could, you know, do attempted murder. Hmm. But it was, it was also Terry Farrell, one of Terry Farrell's favorite episodes. Um, because it's one of the places where she has to differentiate Jadzia Dax from Jadzia. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and her quote, her quote here is, I approach the scenes in the infirmary with the idea that Jadzia is scared, that she feels helpless. She cares very deeply for everyone on the station and is afraid for them. That's why she's willing to say, fine, I'll give my life for everybody and you can have Dax. But that had been, well, the strength of Dax was inside of her, telling her that everything was going to be okay. Once the worm is gone, she's only 28 years old. And it's like, wait, I haven't lived that much life yet. Yeah. Which is, I thought was great. Uh Yeah. Yeah, this is a great Fantastic performance acting. from Terry Farrell. Uh, yeah, I, you know, other than hating Varad as a character, <laughs> um, props to the actor who does a fantastic job with it. I hated the character, but in all the ways I'm 100% sure I was supposed to. Yeah, yeah, no, he's got, he's, yeah. he's got good heat. Yeah. I'm assuming that's a wrestler line from the way you smirked at me when you said it, Justin. Yeah. Yeah. There's <laughs> I'm like heat heat is, you know, how you how the audience reacts to 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 heal a bad guy. Yeah. There, there's good heat, which is I hate this guy and I want to see him get his come up. It's and bad heat of get this fucker off my television. I don't give a shit about him. Yeah. <laughs> I love you called this out as well, Justin, but I want to call it out. Uh speaking of Cisco being a fucking sassy bitch which we'll get into more particularly in the next episode but the line uh at the end where right before he stuns varad where he's like don't call me benjamin is such a fucking line the way he delivers that (laughs) oh he is not into it and and the like varad ties tries to like taunt him and be like you won't shoot me you care about dax too much and ben and like cisco's just like no i just want to see you fucking shut up yeah (laughs) zap it's great. Love uh, it. Yeah. 10 on 10, no notes. Yeah. He's like, I'll roll the dice on my doctor being competent. I'm okay with that. Yeah. I, I mean, it is, it's a super gutsy move and I love it, honestly. I mean, he does have, he does have Starfleet medical salutatorian. Yeah. Uh, all right. We done with this one? <laughs> yeah, let's roll. I think, I think so. All right. On to our other, uh, on to our other ethically complicated and morally ambiguous alien race in DS9. Season two, episode five, Cardassians, story by Gene Woland and John Wright, teleplay by James Crocker, drift, directed by Cliff Ball. Hey, it's Garrick in the Replomat. Been a moment since we've seen him. He's having a drink and Bashir engages him with some ready, witty repartee when Garrick spots our Cardassian boy being led by a Bajoran man onto the station. Garrick approaches the child and puts his hand on his shoulder. The kid bites him, surprisingly, or maybe not. I mean, Garrick was being a little creepy there. Yeah. Uh, there's a little... Bit, but not, yeah. not bite the hand yeah. like yeah, a not wild bite dog dirty. creepy. Yeah. Bashir tells the senior st- staff, and Kira guesses the boy is one of the orson- orphans the Cardassians left behind after they evacuated. Ducat calls immediately to be a space Karen. Fuck off, Ducat. Um, and Ducat <laughs> calls the Cardassian war orphans a disgrace who need to be repatriated. The boy's adopted father explains that they adopted the boy, Rugal, and taught him the horrors of the occupation. They don't consider him a Cardassian even. Wow, that's not fucked up. 
<laughs> yeah, I have some um, thoughts on that. We'll get there. I think yeah. th- this is a th- there's no good answer to anything that happens in this episode. Yeah. Um, but sheer questions some of the witnesses to the biting, one of which is a businessman who claims that Rugal has been beaten and abused for being a Cardassian. Uh, they place Rugal in Keiko's custody temporarily while they investigate. Julian explains the uh, situation to Garrick as he is treating him, who, upon hearing the name Gul Dukat, hears the Kill Bill sirens yes, go off. That is Garrick. the absolute perfect way to put it. That is yeah. exactly the like. That is exactly what is happening in in Garrick's head when that when that name is mentioned. Yeah. You do not need to hear like like he doesn't even like say anything directly, but one look on that lizard man's face is all to let you know Ducat and Garrick fucking hate each other and this feud will survive will 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 feed me for years. <laughs> it's so good. It's like it's like to the point where I'm like, they totally hate fucked at some point. <laughs> oh, I hate it. <laughs> but but I'm not wrong either, am no, I? No, you're not, but I hate it. Oh. Um, <laughs> while Cisco is talking to Jukat on the phone, uh, Bashir interrupts the conference call to question why the orbits were left behind in his evacuations. And Jukat makes up a lie. Uh, Miles comes home to find a Cardassian at home and Miles has a real moment uh, with a capital M there about Rugal and is a bit of a speciesist prick. Uh, but Rugal and Miles are both not too impressed with the Cardassian dish that Keiko replicated. Uh, later, while Miles is doing some work, Rugal and him talk. Uh, Rugal expresses a lot of self-loathing for being a Cardassian and that he thinks of Bajor as his home. Um, Garrick sneaks into Bashir's quarters. In I am going to stop you there. I don't think I don't know if he's. It doesn't feel like he sneaks in so much as he just walks in, as if he has a key. I'm just um, saying. I mean, I feel I mean, like that. He, there's no sneaking. There, he he doesn't drop out of a vent. He doesn't come in through like a the, hidden panel. He literally walks in the front door. Yeah, he picked the lock. Yeah, I feel like even if Garrick had a key, he would pick the lock. Well, be yeah. that as it may, I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying. And tells them they need to go to Bajor, which weird time for a couple's getaway, but okay. Um, Cisco. Yeah, was gonna, see- yeah, yeah, the the Garrick, Garrick breaking into the quarters late at night. Like, this does not go the way that the many fanfics that I've read with that premise yeah, went. Right? So they go to Cisco to borrow a running mount, and Cisco, as he is answering the door, and looking great in like a night robe. I yeah, Cisco is a dapper motherfucker. He is yeah. always yeah. always in like when he's not in uniform, he always has like a real good palette of like purples and crimson and like a sort of a yeah a blood crim not like a blood colored crimson, but like a just just purple on the purple side of red and yeah. It's good. He's yeah. got a good. He's like the one human being. In, he's like the one human in Star Trek who has good civilian clothing. Yeah. <laughs> and ju- just wait until he shaves his head and gets a beard. Yeah. It really, really, Ooh. it is night and day. Like, yeah. you think the Riker beard is an upgrade. Avery Brooks being allowed to shave his head is like 
like legitimately the best glow up. Yeah, I, it's great. I'm looking forward to it. Cisco, uh, while he is attending, like while he is answering at the door to Bashir, gets a call again from Golducott, which Golducott, you know the stage, you know the time difference, you know that you're calling at three in the morning, you fuck. And Ducott informs him that Rugal is, in fact, the son of a prominent civilian politician. Cisco tells Ducott that Rugal wants to go to back to Bashar, but uh, Ducott says, I have, I have, father's on the way, can't help you. Uh, he wants the son back. Garrick and Bashir go to an orphanage where they try to find some more information on the adoption. While they're there, some Cardassian children come and ask Garrick if he's there to take them back to Cardassia. Garrick sort of just like shuffles his feet and like feels really bad about it. And on the runabout back, he explains that children without parents have no status in Cardassia, uh, which really sucks. Um, and Garrick suggests that this whole situation might be a setup for Rugal's father and Dukat. Uh, Kotan Batar, uh, Rugal's father, arrives on the station and he explains to Miles how important family is to Cardassia. He expresses guilt over losing Rugal, and when Rugal is brought in, he is fearful of his father, and even though he says he thought Rugal was dead, uh, Rugal calls him a butcher. Um, there's, this is, there's no good yeah. ending to this. Just, like, there's no good ending. Um, both Rugal and uh, Rugal's biological and adopted father want arbitration. And as they agree to Cisco as an arbitrator, uh, Dukat shows in and he's like, what's up, bitches? I'm here to cause problems on purpose. <laughs> he says he is there for the children. You know who should fuck? Sorry, I'm going to bomb into the middle of your summary with, with the absolute worst yeah. idea. Who do we know who have both showed up in the middle of, of an episode to fucking cause problems in the name of the children. Win and Dukat. <laughs> I think I just... I think <laughs> computer just... No, I, I think Justin is fine. I, I think you can't see our expressions. <laughs> what is happening right now? I can't talk about it. I think I have un unintentionally hit on something because the two of them have just turned off their webcams so I can't see their faces. All right, we can move on. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Justin is dying. <laughs> okay, well, apparently Ducat and Win fuck. I don't know how that happens. I was making a funny how joke. I was making a funny joke, and I. <laughs> we'll see. Oh. We'll see how we get there. I'm dying to know how we go. How we get to that absolutely horseshit fucking nonsense. I just. <laughs> I love that you were completely shitposting. We were just like, oh, fuck, how did he predict that? That's exactly the right word. I can't. I literally cannot. Like, there's no reasonable way I could explain to you the, the path at which we get to that point. Yeah, no, you're just going to have to. You're just going to have to um, wait and see uh, and just anticipate that. This might be like this might be a greater like called shot than like the the, the by B5 end of history thing. it's not a cold shot right. though i don't think like making like shit a shit post call is the same thing as a called shot like no it's 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 not it's you, honestly you more it, impressive yeah 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 legit oh god that's a awful i hate it uh and b i can't wait to find out how how the, okay so the funny thing is like as 
I think it was like as you were watching the like previous episodes with Wynn, like I was like texting Justin being like, oh my God, I cannot wait until Jude gets to the episode where they fuck. Oh, oh Jesus. Okay. Um, anyway. <laughs> so Garrick and Bashir investigate and they find the original clerk who uh, wrote Rugal's file at the orphanage and that Rugal was brought to the orphanage by a Cardassian military officer who was assigned to Tarok Noor. Um, Tarok Noor, in case you forgot, is DS9. Bashir comes into the inquiry and starts to ask questions with a lot of implication that this is a setup to disgrace uh, Padar's political career. Bashir, in a move that seems to make Gar- Garrick like ready to bone right there and then. Uh, oh yeah, he wants to, to. He wants to throw Bashir onto a table. Gets Dukat to storm out of the meeting. Cisco <laughs> eventually, like we, the rest of the episode is told, like it's resolved in a log. Um, Rugal is to be repatriated back to Cardassia with the idea that healing can begin. And I, this is one of those episodes that is like, it is like to go right into discussion. I think this is one of the episodes that is like, it's a very real world sort of ending. It sucks. There is no good answer to this. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a, it's a law and order ending on a Star Trek episode and that's why it feels awkward and bad. I don't think it feels awkward to me. I think that it, I think that it is just like, well, it is a hammer. Yeah. Well, that's what, in, in the sense that within, within the narrative circle of the episode, it, it, it makes perfect sense. It feels yeah. awkward because your Trek logic says that the boy should go where he's happy. And like with the, with the good guy parents, the Bajoran parents, but yeah. th- that's not how it works. Yeah. So like your Trek logic feel says that's not how this works, but like DS nine logic or like, like I said, the law and order ending of this episode is that he goes with the Cardassian father because that's the, especially, especially yeah. as the adoption was like not legitimate. It was a, a like, fucking yeah. bond villain esque scheme on gold part. We'll we'll yeah. get there. We'll talk about the absolute goddamn horseshit scheme that Goldicott has put together here. Yeah. Um and like the episode is like the ending of the episode is such a bummer. And I think that this is why I like usually have it on the skip list. Um, because like usually usually when I'm watching DS9 these days, I'm not watching it in order. Um, other than now, obviously. I'm just yeah. watching to like pick out fun episodes. Um so this is usually a skip, but it is it is actually a very good episode. Yeah, it's not um, a fun episode for sure. Yeah. But I'm I don't know about you. For me, any episode that has Bashir yeah. and, and Garrick in it would not be a skip personally. Um, especially not them on a little like <laughs> uh road trip uh date night to go cause trouble for Goldicott. This is such a good episode for Garrick. I am. So, I have so many questions about Garrick in this episode. Oh, oh yeah. Um, I mean, there is one thing we learned that he has a rather. Uh, he has a mechanical aptitude. Yeah, he just casually fucking repairs this this orphanage's computer, and is yeah, building so databases and shit. We know that he is both a tinker and a tailor, and most oh, likely fuck. a spy. <laughs> I didn't catch that. 
<laughs> that's very good. I don't know if that's what they were going for, but that's a dope oh, it absolutely, oh, absolutely, oh, it absolutely was. It's like that's why he's a tailor. That's so good. Uh, as, yeah, it, it's. Oh man, that's fantastic. Garrick Garrick is not a Garrick. We will find out is not a fan of Ian Fleming, um, but I think he would like John Le Carre. Yeah, I yeah. would agree with that. You know who would like Ian Fleming? Goldicott. Goldicott would read a James Bond book and come away with three pages of notes in his notes app on his phone of things for his next nefarious scheme. Along oh, with God. the just like, shoot him. Oh, cover a girl in gold paint? That's fucking, that is such a dope idea. I'm totally doing that. <laughs> oh, God. And like, I feel like this is, this is such a great Ducat episode too, because it sets up like the the most ultimate Ducat thing, which is that he has at this point spent like a shit ton of like effort, you know, willpower, manpower setting up like you know this this trap for his political enemy with like stealing his kid and sending it off to adoption and like burning his house and like all of that. And it all still like falls apart on him because like Ducat is like ultimately ex- like so incompetent and like self-important. He sends like his secretary to drop the kid off. Yeah, and and like put a pin in this, like put a pin in Ducat like Ducat's own arrogance, like interrupting his own like meticulous overwrought plans. <laughs> He's a Bond villain. This is ex- that is such a Bond villain flaw. Ducat is the tweet that is like me sewing. Ha ha ha! This is so much fun. I love this shit. Me reaping. What the fuck? I didn't do anything to deserve this. <laughs> yeah. I have I have a fun like production note on this one with with Ducat as well. Um, so from Memory Alpha. Mark Alamo, who played Ducat, um, apparently in this, he played Ducat as, as being his interpretation on the episode was that Ducat was being set up and taking a dive because he wanted to evacuate the orphans, but was ordered to leave them. This is fascinating. And I feel like it goes so, so far to like dovetail into that particular like Ducat thing, which is that like he really is the type of person to set up like this whole like, intricate fucking like evil plan to disgrace a political enemy but also simultaneously completely believe his self-justification for like why this is like well actually it's a noble thing like it's like this this self-delusion but also when confronted with what about the other war orphans he's like i'll get back to you on that one and then huffs out yeah, but like he he's he just has like enough self-delusion to like convince himself that he's in the right at all times. Yeah. No, that I get. That I absolutely believe. That like he's convinced himself that like it's it's for the children actually and like yeah. he doesn't actually care about them, but like it's for the children. Yeah. God, I hate Goldicott in the best way. Goldicott yeah. is is a great heel. And yeah. and Mark Alemo like props to him for playing an absolutely incredible antagonist. Yeah. Yeah. Mark Mark Alemo is like, he's like, I don't know if he's like method or like what what he's doing here, but is like he will never play like he never plays Ducat with an ounce of like an ounce of doubt. Which is yeah. just like that's one of the things that makes it so good is that he like 
he's always he always believes he's right. Yeah, which is he, so good. He is so firm in his conviction that he is the protagonist of this show. Yeah. So I have a lot of notes on this episode I want to talk about. But one thing I do want to get into is uh, Cardassian related, sort of keeping the theme. I think it's, I mean, obviously it's because our first interaction, our our first sort of interaction with Garrick is uh, him trying to bone down with Bashir. So you get this like good impression of him right away. Um, So you get the sense that Garrick is a good guy, but there's no real evidence of that. Oh yeah. Yeah. There, there is not. Uh, But it's interesting to see how genuinely like he's acting against Dukat's interests here, like aggressively against Dukat's interests here. So I'm really interested to see how that plays out over time, whether he is in fact, like he outright says, I don't believe in the truth. I'm always lying. Like, but I'm interested oh, to see the, 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 the whole line is truth is in the eye of the beholder, doctor. I never tell the truth because I don't believe there is such a thing. That is why I prefer the simple straight line simplicity of cutting cloth. It's such, just so, such, such an over dramatic answer. I love it. I, I, the, the, uh, the, the much, I, I think the much better line he has is I believe in coincidences. Coincidences happen every day. But I don't trust coincidences. That's a dope line. Yeah. Yeah. Also, also, your Garrick is very good. Let me tell you. Thank you. Um, I've been practicing it for 18 years. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm interested to see where Garrick goes as a character. Like, oh, yeah. is he someone that is genu- genuinely a good guy? Is he simply anti-Cardassian? Is he simply anti-Garrick? Oh, I'm... I'm interested er, to see where... I mean, you mean we, anti-Ducat? Sorry, anti-Ducat. Like I'm interested to see where how yeah. how how yeah where he's aimed. Um, I I think that especially in 2023, he he like we'll get into this more, but like not to go into like too many spoilers, but Garrick is a patriot whose whose country does not love him back. Um, I think is the best way to describe it. Yeah. Um, for various reasons, he is an ex- like he the. the we will eventually find the learn some explanations for why he is in exile. Mm-hmm. Um, these are explanations. These are not answers. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we'll actually get those fairly soon. So you can look forward yeah. to the wire. Cool. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it, it's, I think it's really interesting of just like how we, like he's like, it's been a season since we've seen him and change. Mm-hmm. Even. Yeah. Um, and like, it's just, he's so, it's so realized here of like all of the duplicitous. Yeah. I, I love what they managed to do with the time skip and Andrew Robinson and Alexander Siddig like act the hell out of this because they, they've done an amazing job of like, even though it's been over a season since we saw them on the screen together since past prologue, like they, at this point, like they just click right into like, it's clear that these two, They've been like seeing each other regularly. They have a rapport. Like they have like conversa- favorite conversational topics and like know each other's drink orders. Yeah, there's an ease to their 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 uh how they interact that is uh hard to do. It it isn't yeah. easy to make two characters that haven't been on screen for a season feel comfortable around each other, but they manage it very easily. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know how easy it was, but it it looks very natural in this episode for sure. 
Yeah, they both do a fantastic job of selling the selling the rapport and making it really seem like the two of them, it might not have been on screen, but they spent that time skip becoming friends. Yeah. A uh, couple of random notes before I get into my other heavy thing, which is uh, Miles and Rugal. Cisco has the sassiest goddamn line in this episode, which oh, is... Yes. Uh, when Bashir barges in on his call with Dukat, Bashir apologizes and he says, don't apologize. It's, it was the high point of my day. Don't do it again. <laughs> Which is it's such so a fucking good. line. Oh, yeah. Like, you're doing great. To- like, watch yourself. Like, it's such a... Yeah. What is that message? I could just imagine Bashir on the elevator down being like, "Did I do- is it okay? Did I do good? Did I do bad? I don't know. <laughs> There, there's a there's a weird detail in this episode. I always, if you ask me to remember this scene in my memory, I always imagine Ducat being taller than he is. Yeah, and the fact that he is just slightly shorter than Cisco is so fucking funny to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, every time, every time I see them standing next to each other, like Ducat always feels like he should be looming, and then he isn't. That's exactly yeah, what that's I was right. gonna say. He he has a presence i bet you Ducat wears lifts in his boots <laughs> i bet it just kills him that cisco's taller than him yeah um let's talk about miles and rugel because i think that is yeah a, an incredibly good bit of character development and he, like a really really nice arc in this episode showing because we've been developing the that side of of Miles as someone as a veteran who, I mean, frankly, fucking hates Cardassians. Uh, yeah, absolutely, one hundred percent. We land, and that was this, established in TNG too. Yeah, we land this Cardassian kid in his home, and he is forced to confront some of that reactionary bias head on. This is the first time in the series itself that he is face to face with a Cardassian. Is that true? I think so. Or at so, least it's like the first like... Other than combat. Yeah. Yeah, other than shooting at him. Yeah. But like in the series itself, like it's like the first time he's like having a dramatic scene with one. Yeah. yeah. And I think the fact that it's a it's a kid and it mm-hmm. is a kid that has internalized all of the things that he thinks about Cardassians. Yeah. Is showing him uh, how ugly some of that some of that is even though even if it's true like the kid's yeah. not saying anything that's not untrue about cardassians but he's full of so much self-loathing over it and uh watching miles i mean first of all that scene where uh keiko is trying god oh god damn such keiko. a such a fucking white Ugh. woman move uh, for Keiko to right. prepare Cardassian food for the 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 Cardassian kid with intense self loathing, like, yeah. uh, and I I have I have like such that that like reminds me of a like specific thing that I've encountered too is like the the thing of like trying too hard, yeah, um, because I've definitely seen it in like. People I know who like when their kid started dating someone from a different cultural background just went like so incredibly far overboard with like we must we must adopt this culture to be welcoming and just like 
Ugh. Yeah. It's like, I, I, I know you're coming from a good adjacent place, Keiko, but like, Oof. stop. Yeah. And then the both Miles and Rugal are just like, nope, and just push their plates into each other's. It's such a, <laughs> a nice little moment of the two of them recognizing like this person, you know, we're on the same page here. This is, yeah. fuck this food. We're on the same page <laughs> yeah. here. Yeah. But I really love that Miles becomes someone he connects to. Yeah. By the end mm-hmm. of the episode, we see Miles say, like, we see Miles being someone he's connected with. He's saying, if you want to come back and visit, just re- just let me know. Just reach out to me. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's a really great bit of character development for Miles. I think because it shows a... Um, We've seen that Miles like takes his fatherhood. Like Miles, the dad is a, is something that we don't always get to see. Mm-hmm. Like we we know he's a dad, but we don't always get to see that. But it's 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 fun to see him like accessing that part of his character. But also, it's it's interesting to see that this is that he's connected with this kid despite him being a Cardassian, or in, possibly because of that. Like he's you know they yeah. they connect over this thing. Yeah. And this episode is incredibly important for Miles's like overall yeah. character arc. I think one of the things, one of my favorite things about the series and one of its strengths is anytime you put O'Brien in a situation in the series uh, and you expect him to do like a very st- stereotypical thing for like a stock character, he does like the exact opposite thing. Yeah. Yeah. The scene in his home where the, the the what's his name the Cardassian dad shows up um yeah Kotan Padar that's an intense scene um yeah. because like yeah he was a, an occupational governor probably not an entirely good person almost certainly yeah almost certainly an absolute piece of shit but also on a more human level if you'll forgive the figure of speech the way he describes like the horror of losing his kid and finding he might still be alive and Mm -hmm. his desire to reconnect with him is so visceral and real and like that kind of transcends like whatever there is something very uh like i said human about that moment that yeah you that you can connect to no matter yeah. what he did, he's still somebody's dad. He's still a, a guy who has a son that he lost and he and he thinks he and who's found him again. And and also who is the you know, the uh his his wife died, you know, Rugal's mother did die in that uh fire or whatever yeah. it was. And there's an and it's just it's a really complicated scene and it's done really, really it's done with a, a sensitivity and a sophistication there that I really liked that they're not trying to hide the fact that this guy was a part of the occupying force, but they're also letting him be a person with, you know, a human character, like a yeah, a fully a fully dimensional character that has family and feelings and stuff. Yeah, I think this is I I think it's just yeah, it's uniquely DS9 in that there is no clean answer to this. And it's one of those yeah. things where I'm like, I don't have a kid. In like, you know, it's it's just like this is so messy in like yeah. an interesting way. I, I, I learned apparently that they, that um, 
they did a novel uh, by Una McCormick, who is a fantastic Trek author, yeah. um, who's done a bunch of stuff, uh, specifically following up on Rugal after this episode. Oh, fascinating. Oh, fascinating. Um, apparently, it's it's very well-reviewed as one of the, like, it's rather well-reviewed as, like, the Pocket DS9 series goes. Uh, Anna, you will find the name of this book very, probably very funny. Uh, it is The Never-Ending Sacrifice. Oh, my God, Really? It is the name that is the name of the book. It is, yeah, incredible. Wow. What uh, uh, what happens to it? Is, is if it's not a spoiler to like the wider Trek DS9, he is on Cardassia. Um, so yeah, no, because to go on to he lives on Cardassia during the second half of this series, which is uh, yeah, we can't talk about. We can't talk about yet, but it's not fun. <laughs> okay, noted. Yeah. Um, poor buddy. Yeah. Um, uh, there, there was one other thing I wanted to ping back quickly to that that Caddy Cisco quote oh, yeah. um, because I feel like it's actually like captures a lot of like Cisco's energy um, mm, yes. in that like as a character and as a captain, well, commander, um, he's always potentially willing to explore options that are outside of like standard protocol, like you know, what seems to be obvious, etc. Um, but he wants in he wants to have input and he doesn't want his staff just like herring off on like their hunch that they picked up from, you know, the Cardassian spy tailor. That like I'm pretty sure that if Bashir had like come to him first and been like, yo, can I interrupt your face FaceTime call with Ducat? Like Cisco would have been like, absolutely go for it. But the like he's not he's not mad that Bashir did it. He's mad that Bashir didn't ask him. Yeah. I won't be surprised if going forward, as long any time that Ducat is involved, Cisco is gonna be like, Oh, Garrick what Garrick has suddenly appeared and and what has some weird ass request? Sure. It is the grand unifying theory of fuck that guy. Yeah, like yes. as long like anytime Ducat, I, I'm I'm fairly convinced that Cisco will have put one and one together and realized that where Ducat is concerned, Garrick is a reliable ally in fuck yeah. Ducat. So yep. I'm looking forward to seeing more of that. I think yeah. Overall, I think this is like this is one of those like I think DS9 does these episodes better than most other tracks of like there is not an easy answer to this problem. We're not going yeah. like there is like. You're left thinking about it, and I think that's a. I think you know that's good trek. If you are left thinking about it, like you can feel that, like at least part of this resolution is politically motivated. Yeah. What would the TNG ending of this episode be? <sighs> um, Bruco comes to live with the O'Briens forever. <laughs> I think it would be like. I'm not the- wrong, though, am I? <laughs> I mean, that would be one of them. I think. I feel like TNG- it's like. I feel like it's maybe like Ducat assassinates Padar. Yeah. Or my, something. I was going to say my version of the TNG would be that it, it neatly ties up Padar in a way that makes it so that it's not feasible for him to go back to Cardassia. Either Padar is shamed and goes, goes to the Federation with Rugal and is secretly a really good guy or, it turns out that they faked the records and he's not actually Padar's son. 
So he that's goes the, back I think to that might be. I Bajor. think that might be yeah. the, the TNG answer. Is that's the, that's the one that like cleans the situation up the most. Yeah, but yeah. I, I think they would have tidied it up more, uh, made it more complicated, but also tidied it up so that you get a more like you, you know satisfying answer. I also think that TNG would have been far less like like here setting Rugal back to Bajor is it's very clear that that's also a bad option. Yeah, that's the pro- that's one thing that does suck about this episode is poor Rugal has no good options. Yeah, yeah on Bajor poor, poor kids can need so much therapy. Yeah, on Bajor he is pickled in self-loathing and lives in a society which only will ever view him as a an an oppressor yeah uh and on cardassia he will never escape the knowledge that this society is i mean he was raised as a bajoran so he knows what these people are and his dad is one of the people that committed those crimes yeah i think i think therapy is he's gonna (laughs) live in therapy he's gonna need so many drugs i mean and this is this is why i say i like you know, half jokingly said that like the TNG answer would be that it's neither option. He comes to li- live with the O'Briens and like lives happily ever after. Yeah. With yeah. it's Molly. not honestly, you're not wrong. That would be the most like space fantasy answer is he gets to or like, avoid, you know, or like he becomes essentially a like ward of the Federation. And then like, yeah, it's like, after all this, I want to go to Starfleet Academy and be the first Cardassian in Starfleet. Yeah. yeah. Something that avoids the moral quandary and yeah. Uh, sidesteps it. Yeah. I don't know. Anybody had anything else we want to talk about for this one or. I think I, you know, I'd be interested to hear if, you know, if any of our listeners, when when listening to this episode, um, have experiences being like cross racial adoptees and have opinions on this episode in that context, I'd be very interested to hear them. Yeah, yeah, I think because that's be something that, like, you know, I think has some links with this episode, but it's something that I don't have any personal experience of and don't feel qualified to speak on yeah yeah so listeners hit us up if you if you want to talk about this episode in that context so that give that wraps up this time uh so next time we are going to be covering we're going to be skipping an episode because we have a guest lined up for talking about melora which is the next released episode but we have a guest lined up because that is a rather complicated episode and so we have a guest that we're bringing on for that to help talk about that um because scheduling is interesting in podcast land we're going to we're going to save that aside so instead we are going to cover uh episodes seven and eight of season two rules of acquisition and necessary evil (laughs) until next time just, just keep circling Keep circling. Just keep circling. Just keep circling. Yeah. Just keep circling. Just keep circling. Just keep circling. Just keep circling.
The Babylon Project is an independent production. All views expressed on the show are our own. Clips from the original show remain property of the original owner. Music information can be found in the show notes. The rest of the show is licensed under a Creative Commons 4.0 share-alike no derivatives license. Thank you.